I don't do dabs for the same reason that I don't take Ritalin. And it's because the time that I was testing out Ritalin for a week, I went on this bender. And right after I did dabs, this guy cried after he came in my asshole and then like sent me a text about it. Like, sorry, your ass was just so good that I just, I I just cried. But really the reason that he cried is because we had just done dabs and then he asked, who am I to you? After I had known him for like three days and I was like, you're some dude I met on Tinder. What what do you want from me? Oh, so that's why I cried? Yeah. He had just gotten fired from Trader Joe's. I feel like there wasn't a lot going on. I've never had anyone cry after sex. Really? Well, maybe your asshole just isn't as good as mine. Well, it's not so good that people are crying but it's also not so bad that people are crying i've never been told that i'm the best sex someone's had but i have been told that i'm the funniest you know i've found that people generally don't like it when i do bits during sex i know i'm like i'm just making fun of you i'm bratting they're like that's not how you brat i think a little comedy in the bedroom's healthy yeah 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 i walk around at parties and i go up to women and i'm like i could be a top And uh, no one's taking me up on it. I don't know why. (laughs) Really? Because it seems like that would be very effective. Yeah. It's like, what? You you didn't want me to make jokes this whole time? Then gag me, bitch. I may not be that type, but my five is. (laughs) A. The presence of the devil is very real. With homosexuality, the world is the worst that it has ever been. fucking time i fuck it up so i'm letting you start yeah i end up re-recording the intro basically every time you do it yeah i know oh man okay um hi everyone and welcome to how gay thou art the comedy podcast where me and clint we are gay-ish you've already gone off the rails yeah no <laughs> we're doing it different this time clint don't worry about it. I'm Jay Austin. They them. And uh and the the other person on this podcast is uh Clint Keller. He him. And today we are talking about the ultimate Christian movie franchise. It is the Avengers of Evangelicals. God's not dead. And ironically, it has nothing to do with Jesus or anything he told Christians to go do and everything about the Christian persecution fantasy. Also, it entirely (laughs) abandons the premise of proving the existence of God after the first movie. It goes purely political. There's no one doing miracles. Wait, no, the newsboys do miracles. My bad. The only thing that's a miracle is how much goddamn money the first movie made. No, the only thing's a miracle is how convenient there was always a car wreck when they needed a plot point. Lots of deus ex machina in this franchise, unsurprisingly. So for anyone unfamiliar with these cinematic masterpieces, the God's Not Dead films are based on a book by the same name, authored by Rice Brooks. And the overall plot centers on a Christian pastor named Reverend Dave Hill, who, along with others in the community, argues for the existence of God through a number of controversies. But it should be said that the book is not a fictional narrative. It's an apologetics text that argues for the existence of God. So the films are only based on it insofar as they use the arguments presented in the book as the foundation 
foundation for the arguments made by the characters in the movies. It's kind of like how Mean Girls was like based on a book about how to be a girl, but the movie has nothing to do with that. It's exactly like that, actually. So that's the textbook definition. But Jay, how would you describe the God's Not Dead films? I would say that each one is a little vignette into the fears of Christians getting their rights taken away, while at the same time in real life, they're actively taking away the rights of queer people. There's some major projection happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. There are some recurring characters throughout. There's a pastor. Yes, Reverend Dave Hill. And he's the only character who's in all of the movies. He's the anchor of the GND universe. He only plays a small role in the first film, but becomes more central over time. I didn't want to spend any money on this, but I forgot to cancel the free trial on Tuesday, so I spent 99 cents on watching all of these. Well, I canceled mine in time. I put a reminder on my calendar and everything. I had absolutely no intention of paying for this. What's most interesting to me about this series is that each film is allegedly based on real court cases and cultural incidents. And then at the end of each movie, during the credits, they always list all of the court cases that inspired the film. There'll be like 20 plus court cases related to each movie. I wondered, so did you go and look up the cases at the end of the credits that they were based on? Well, some of the movies give a brief synopsis of each case in the credits that explains the basic conflict and who the court favored, but I looked up the ones that didn't. And here's what's interesting. As far as I can tell, the courts ruled in favor of Christians and or religious freedom in every single one of these cases. The Christian persecution fantasy is the core concept that drives these movies, but their basis for this fear is a list of cases where Christians were legally validated. It's literally not enough for them to win time and time again. The religious right can't even tolerate being challenged. Yeah, it was definitely a caricature and a lot of drama and stuff. And while each film is its own self-contained story, there are several things that apply to the franchise as a whole. The number one thing that ties all the films together is the idea that Christianity and the American education system are at odds on a fundamental level. Sponsored by the Newsboys and Duck Dynasty. Well, nobody ever accused the Duck Dynasty folks of being overeducated. I ain't got nothing to say to that, you know? <laughs> They're basically movies for the homeschool trade school crowd. Public schools, private secular schools, secular universities... All of them are anti-Christian indoctrination stations in God's Not Dead. And the Venn diagram of people who subscribe to the God's Not Dead worldview and the people who educate their kids with Abeka textbooks is a circle. Abeka-cated. I got Abeka-cated. <laughs> All of the movies take place in what I can only describe as an alternate reality where news stations openly mock Christianity and being publicly anti-Christian is somehow a win political strategy in our real reality however there is only a single member of congress who's religiously unaffiliated and that's kirsten cinema from arizona in all of congress yeah and she's not like anti-christian she's just religiously unaffiliated but in the god's not dead movies basically every politician with any sort of perceived liberal bias is actively attempting to undermine christianity we're just trying to make it so people have Healthcare and can go to the doctor and not be sick. 
Why is that so bad? Now, Article 6 of the Constitution prevents these laws from actually being enacted, but there are seven states that have laws specifically banning atheists from even holding office. That's the real world. Which states? Name and shame. Name and shame, Clint. They are Arkansas, Maryland, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. None of which are surprising, except for maybe Maryland. An interesting side story about this, the Tennessee GOP recently tried to get a provision banning pastors from holding office removed from the Tennessee state constitution, but they insisted that the ban on atheists holding office remain in place. So that's fun. But in the God's Not Dead world, evangelical Christians are a persecuted minority that doesn't share the same level of freedom as other religions and people groups in America. If Christians just spent a day in Muslim shoes in America, they would have a very different idea about what persecution actually is. Well, something interesting about that. So a recent survey by the Public Religion Research Institute found that Eight out of ten white evangelicals believe that discrimination against them is just as bad, if not worse, as discrimination against black people and religious minorities. In America, 80% of white evangelicals think they face just as many challenges as a Muslim person or a black person or a trans person. It's unthinkable. How does that work when, like, even in the Jesus music documentary, I think it was Kirk Franklin talking about how he stopped in a sundown town. Yeah, which town in America has threatened to kill a Christian still hanging around after sunset? They're not threatened within their lives for just stopping at a gas station with a fucking ichthys necklace. Like, absolutely not. It's all imagined. And these movies are dangerous because they reinforce that delusion. This kind of thinking allows evangelicals to completely ignore both their own privilege and the suffering of others. But they really undercut this whole idea because both the first and second movies end with a Newsboys stadium concert that is filled to the brim with fans. And then the big thing is getting you to text all of their friends, God's not dead. Yeah, they all have a call to action at the end where you're supposed to text five of your friends, God's not dead. Except in the fourth movie, they change it to hashtag God's not dead to be hip at the times. I just love that the guy who dies at the end of the first movie gets a God's Not Dead text when he's dead. God's not dead, but you are, atheist scumbag. Another thing that comes up a lot is that coming out as a Christian often has very severe consequences. You come out as a Christian and get kicked out of your house? Like when you come out as gay? No. You might lose your job, your grades will be threatened, the government will try to take your children away romantic relationships will be severed. And a lot of the persecutions that they show are the exact things the religious right is doing to other people right now. Like, you can't believe in God and go to college. You can't say Jesus in a public school. Really? Because Florida now has a don't say gay bill where teachers literally can't say gay in the classroom. They accuse us of grooming when they want teachers to actively indoctrinate kids in Christianity at school. Absolutely. They're terrified of what they do to others happening to them. It is just so transparently a projection. Straight up. This point should come as no surprise, but the God's Not Dead series consistently conflates Christianity and America. I mean, George Washington might as well have been Jesus himself. Yeah, 
Yeah. And of course, anything that isn't American capitalism is on par with Satan. So like communism, socialism, these things are shown to be objective evils. And a final less important note is that the newsboys, for some reason, play a very outsized role in the world of evangelical Christianity in these movies. Uh, I think they probably helped fund this. Well, they did write the theme song. They didn't even write that, though. Like, that's an older song. I feel like that's a Crowder song, but I could be wrong. Really? Let's, uh, oh, yeah. No, you're right. David Crowder fucking got it. Uh, I should have known not to challenge you on CCM trivia. I still don't understand why they keep popping up in the movies though. It's so ham-fisted. They have nothing to do with the plot after the first film. It's because anytime like someone in Christian music wants to retire, they just put them in the newsboys instead. So I also read skimmed the God's Not Dead book. So tell me how that is. Um, exhausting. Was it still a story or is it more mere Christianity? Definitely more mere Christianity. It's a straight up apologetics text. The author, Rice Brooks, attempts to quote unquote prove the existence of God through various means, including science, history, philosophy, textual criticism. The arguments made in the college class in the first movie hit most of the highlights from the book. But all he has are weak, familiar arguments that we've been hearing literally our entire lives. He says that atheism is a religion. He misrepresents evolution and the fossil record. He argues for irreducible complexity. He claims that the Gospels are factual, first-person, historical accounts. Of course, even if he's correct about all of these things... None of that actually proves the existence of God anyway. What's really frustrating about the book is that his entire approach to proving God is just attempting to disprove ideologies that conflict with his own. He constantly portrays people like Richard Dawkins and Bill Maher to be some sort of left-wing heroes, as if I give a shit what Bill Maher thinks about anything. No! They're not like our pastors. They don't understand where atheists are coming from. It's different worldviews. All of theirs is based on an ancient allegorical text that they take literally. And in Christianity, they believe that the Bible is the truth. That's the basis of all truth. And then from there, you study other sources. Yeah, you start to make some pretty big logical leaps when you try to conform every piece of new information to an ancient pre-science book. Let's talk briefly about Pure Flix. They are the production company slash streaming service behind the God's Not Dead movies. How was your experience using their streaming platform, Jay? Let's talk about Pure Flix. Pure Flix for the uninitiated. It's basically Netflix, but for Christian films. Netflix is one of the biggest companies of all like the tech companies their algorithms amazing their ui is okay it, it works it functions it works pure Flix is the christian knockoff and their logo is almost the same typeface and then the app the keyboard for when you go to search something is just a string of the entire alphabet in alphabetical order and you go left to right but instead of like 
holding it down gives you like it goes a little faster. No, if you hold it down for a second too long, it goes all the way to Z. And then if you press like one click, it'll like go. But then you have to like press the button a thousand times. So it's just like you're zooming back and forth. It's the most annoying keyboard. Like I thought that there couldn't be a more annoying keyboard than just having to like go through and type out everything. No. They were clearly cutting any corner they could. There was no money spent on design. They got someone on Fiverr to design this app. So I have a fully integrated Google smart home system, right? <laughs> all of the speakers, all of the devices, everything is Google based, everything connects. And I could not get PureFlix to cast from my browser to my TV. So I go to the TV to download the PureFlix app, which they have. But it hasn't been updated in so long that it's not even compatible with the current Google TV operating system. So what I ended up having to do is download the PureFlix app to my iPhone and then use that to cast it to my television. What? Uh-huh. Okay. It's honestly one of the worst interfaces I've ever seen on a streaming service. Yeah, like, I've got to start giving Hulu a lot more credit. I thought they had the worst UI, but honestly, it's not that bad. <laughs> no, it's nowhere near this bad. 10 being, like, a really good streaming app, it doesn't exist. Um, Netflix being an 8. Hulu being a good, solid 5. And then PureFlix is, like, a 1. Okay, so it's time to really dig into each of these God's Not Dead movies. We'll start with the first one, of course, God's Not Dead Vanilla. It came out in 2014, directed by Harold Kronk. It stars Kevin Sorbo, who you may know as Hercules from the Xena Warrior Princess spinoff. Dean Cain, who starred as Superman in the 90s sitcom Lois and Clark. David A.R. White, who plays Reverend Dave. And Shane Harper, our college student protagonist named Josh Wheaton. Its budget was $2 million, but guess what its worldwide net income was? $100 million. Very close. Really? $95.8 million. Wow. Making it one of the most profitable films of all time. Synopsis. College student Josh Wheaton attends a philosophy class where the uncompromising Professor Radisson requires all students to agree in writing that the Christian God is quote-unquote dead. When Josh refuses on account of his Christianity, the professor challenges him to defend his position that God is real, which leads to a series of confrontational presentations by himself and the professor in turn, each making their case in front of the class before a final debate. At the same time, Reverend Dave and his friend Jude attempt to leave town but are hindered by a series of strange car problems. Muslim teenager Aisha is at odds with her father over her interest in Christianity. Mark, who is some sort of businessman, acts cynically toward his mentally ill mother while his vegan journalist girlfriend learns that she has cancer. And Chinese exchange student Martin becomes fascinated by Christianity after seeing Josh so ardently defend his faith. First of all, why are you making everyone write that and sign it? Like, what does that have to do with your philosophy class? It doesn't. You cannot, in any university in America, ask students to renounce their faith as a course requirement. And 
obviously him saying God is dead, automatically assuming that all of his audience was raised Christian, like not saying gods don't exist. What if there is a Hindu student? Like what if there is? No, but it's the default is Christianity. The very idea that a philosophy class would necessitate disavowing God is absurd. Discussions about God are a pretty big part of philosophy like it just doesn't make sense from a professor perspective like it felt like they had never been in a classroom i'm not convinced anyone involved with this film went to college and then they're saying god's dead like not god doesn't exist god's dead and those are two very different things and he does address that he says that this isn't to imply that god used to exist and is now dead it's just a convenient turn of phrase or whatever but at the end of the movie it's revealed that the professor isn't truly an atheist he just hates god for letting his mom die when he was a kid and that's true for most of the atheists in these movies it's not that they don't believe in god they're just pissed at god yeah they're treating god like a bad ex-boyfriend like they're mad at god but if they're mad at god then they still believe in a god as you could probably surmise from the synopsis this movie has way too many subplots there's the Islamophobic plotline, the Chinese exchange student plotline, the vegan journalist cancer lady plotline. The vegan cancer lady who gets healed by the newsboys while doing a hit piece on Duck Dynasty guys. And the Duck Dynasty guys phone in to the newsboys concert. Which somewhat reminded me of the 2001 movie Rat Race, which ended at a Smash Mouth concert. But that was so much better. Oh my god. So you think it ends in a newsboys concert, but actually, there's still 20 more minutes of drama left because then the professor who doesn't believe in God gets hit hit by a fucking car and then accepts God into his life again and then dies and then gets a God's not dead text. And it did feel like the movie had 15 different endings because there were so many plots to wrap up at the end. But the plots also started becoming interwoven, like Crash for Christians. One of the more problematic plots is about a super conservative Islamic family. The daughter starts listening to Franklin Graham on her iPod, which is apparently a very big problem problem in her family and to be honest i have to agree with them on that one yeah and the kid sees franklin graham and automatically knows who it is yeah her little brother sees it somehow knows who franklin graham is steals the ipod shows it to their dad and the dad throws his daughter out onto the street and says he never wants to speak to her again so she becomes homeless but also has tickets to the newsboys concert somehow yeah and she's just there I thought that she was going to start dating the guy who the movies centered around who met his girlfriend at a Newsboys concert, but then she breaks up with him because he's not focused on their relationship and just wants to focus on proving that God is alive. Right. We haven't even mentioned that somewhere along the way. Josh Wheaton's girlfriend breaks up with him because of his dedication to schooling the professor. Their relationship is just so fucking ridiculous. They met when their youth groups went to a newsboys concert when they were 12 years old and now they're 18 and freshmen in college preparing for marriage so they've been together six years and she's acting completely shocked by his behavior you don't date someone for 
six of your most formative years and then get surprised when they do something like this. I feel like it'd be more of a not again, you always do this type situation. You're telling me that the girlfriend that you met with your youth group at the Newsboys concert doesn't want you to prove God's real? Really? What a bad fucking actor she is, though. She's the worst actor in the movie. Who was she? Just like some director's daughter that they threw in? I think she was probably just the hottest girl in youth group. And they were like, you, no need to audition your acting ability. Just come on down to set. Yep. We just need generic hot girl number one. I also find the timeline of this movie very confusing. At first, I assumed Josh was going to be working on this Proving God project across the semester. But then... All of the other storylines happen in the span of a few days, and they all intersect with each other, so it doesn't make sense for them to be unfolding at different speeds. Like, does all of Josh's research, debates, breakup, everything happen in just a few days? Yeah, it had to, because the philosophy professor gives him three class periods for him to prove that God's real, which... People have been trying to do it for thousands of years, but yeah, do it in three class periods when you haven't been taught philosophy. My actual favorite character in the movie is the vague, evil businessman played by Dean Cain. He's the boyfriend who breaks up with vegan girl after she learns she has cancer. Oh yeah, what the fuck? So she's a left-wing blogger, and we know this because she has a meet is murder bumper sticker on her car. And then she finds out that she has cancer, and she tells her boyfriend, Dean Kane, who's been a huge atheist asshole this entire movie, and he breaks up with her immediately. <laughs> He's like, this isn't the agreement we made. I'm not here to support your illness. Yeah, like what? They'd been together how many years? And he's like, well, if you're going to die, I'm just going to cut you out early. And when she first tells him about the cancer, he's like, couldn't this have waited until tomorrow? Yeah, he's like, I got a promotion. You're supposed to celebrate me. They think atheists don't have morals, so they think that would have been a normal interaction and breakup. Yeah, almost all of the atheists in the God's Not Dead universe are villainous heartless people they're like the queer coded villain from fucking disney they're like basically caricatures they don't grieve for any of their loved ones they don't give a shit about anything they're all smug it's ridiculous like it's it's marrying the idea that christianity has to be a right-wing conservative thing because the left is trying to infringe on our rights i've never watched a movie that had so many mic drop moments like it would dramatically build up to some sort of bombshell where Josh is yet again providing irrefutable proof of God, like, boom. And then he would just say the dumbest shit you've ever heard. And then the whole class gives him a standing ovation saying, God's not dead. God's not dead. The best part of Josh's lectures is when he does a whole bit about circular reasoning, like how scientists who believe in evolution and the Big Bang are just engaging in circular reasoning and it doesn't make any sense, which is insane. But then it immediately cuts to a scene where Reverend Dave is circular reasoning. Oh, you're saying he proved the Bible by saying that it was in the Bible? Exactly. And it almost feels on purpose. That's the thing with this entire movie, the first one especially. On some level, it reads as satire to me. It's not, but it feels like it. It feels like the scary movie of faith-based films. Like somebody made this movie specifically to make fun of faith film 
tropes. These felt like chick tracks, like in the way that people comically die and stuff. Oh yeah, they absolutely did. And also kind of like Hell House. It reminded me of the post-birth abortion center scene in Hell House because these movies are portraying what could happen in America, that this is the road we're going down. This is the world that the liberals want. Let's move on to the second movie, God's Not Dead 2. We won't spend as much time on this one. It was released in 2016. Harold Kronk returns as director. It had a budget of $5 million and a net profit of $24.5 million, so about a quarter of the first one. The film stars Melissa Joan Hart, a.k.a. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, as the protagonist. David A.R. White returns as Reverend Dave. Ray Wise from Twin Peaks plays the atheist lawyer. And the judge is played by none other than Ernie Hudson from Ghostbusters. What? There was a Ghostbuster and God's not dead? I ain't afraid of no God. Uh, The synopsis for this one. High school history teacher Grace Wesley, played by Melissa Joan Hart, comes under fire for answering a student's question about Jesus. When Grace refuses to apologize, the school board votes to suspend her and threatens to revoke her teaching certificates. Forced to stand trial to save her career, Grace hires young lawyer Tom Endler to defend her in court. Endler devises a powerful strategy to show the jury the historical significance of Wesley's classroom discussion i thought it was interesting that they were like so right-leaning politics and then they're like oh but we'll give her a union representative and then the union won't even fight for her yeah they had to make a point to throw a little anti-union propaganda in there like what does that have to do with the existence of god i have no idea the way the courtroom scenes are portrayed is the most ridiculous part of this movie so a student asks the teacher a question about jesus a historical question and she answers it and then she also talks to the student after class the student had further questions It blows up and she's put on leave by the school. But then, completely separately, the student's parents sue the teacher for mentioning the name Jesus to their kid. But somehow victory in civil court means that she gets to keep her job as a teacher, which doesn't really make sense. They're completely unrelated. She could win in court and still not get to be a teacher. She could lose in court and also be reinstated as a teacher. But regardless, all of this is coded as a criminal trial. It's in a grand courtroom. There's a full jury. There's theatrical attorneys, the whole bit. And in reality, this would be more like Judge Judy than Law and Order. It's civil court, and it's so ludicrous. And it's unlikely that a judge would even hear this case to begin with, let alone convene a fucking jury. But it was 100% done on purpose because it carries the visual implication that Christianity is on trial. I think they made an interesting like casting choice downgrading Sabrina the Teenage Witch to teacher that gets in trouble for saying Jesus. I wasn't even allowed to watch Sabrina and now she's starring in Jesus movies. Yeah, it's kind of depressing to be honest. At the very beginning of the movie, the student asks the teacher, you never let anything get to you. How do you do that? And Melissa Joan Hart says, Jesus. And it's like, This entire film series is literally about things getting to evangelicals. And they don't even really bring up Jesus or God. They don't care about, like, caring for the sick or the poor and the needy. Like, that is not at all in these films. 
It's just right to be a Christian. We do pick back up with the vegan blogger from the first film. She's friends with the Newsboys now and has also been miraculously cured of her cancer. So she calls the Newsboys to tell them the news. And like I said before, it's really not clear why they're even in this movie at all. It's a Newsboys commercial. That's what I'm saying. Here's the thing. They've been pretending to be real musicians for 20 years, and you would think that would have made them better actors, but they're fucking terrible. (laughs) Calling him up on the tour bus like, hey, I'm cured of cancer. Thanks for praying for me. The villainous atheists are back, of course, led by Ray Wise from Twin Peaks. And the incident that acts as a catalyst for all of this is just completely ridiculous. The way that Jesus is brought up in the classroom is in a completely historical context. It would not have been boundary crossing to say what she said. Yeah, you don't get in trouble for mentioning that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was a reverend. That's not weird. You just as an instructor shouldn't teach religion because it's not Sunday school. It's not church. But you can talk about the historical context of, yes, this person was a believer. They seriously act as if even saying the name Jesus in a public school is illegal. I was brought up to believing that you couldn't say Jesus. And the exact people who would be upset that this teacher wasn't allowed to answer a question about Jesus are the ones who don't want teachers to be able to answer students' questions about sexuality or homosexuality or racism. They clearly want restrictions on teachers. They've been campaigning on it for years now. They just don't want those restrictions to apply to anything they care about. It's projection. They're just projecting. Literally. They want to recruit kids into their death cult, so they just assume everyone else is trying to recruit kids for some reason too. No, we're not trying to recruit people. We're just there to explain that there are multiple ways of existing. (laughs) But in Christianity, there's only one true way. There are also large, rowdy protests on the courthouse steps for the entire movie. And of course, all of the protesters are POC and or queer-coded. And the pro-Christian counter-protesters are mostly blonde-haired, blue-eyed people. And in the end, the teacher comes out on top, and the atheist lawyer's team concedes that a legal precedent has now been set, and God's existence has been proven in a court of law. Yeah, it's very much the brown people have to convert to Christianity, the white people are already Christian, or were Christian, and turned away. But overall, the second entry was pretty boring and forgettable, so let's move on to the highlight of the series. Like, for real, God's Not Dead 3 a Light in the Darkness. It was released in 2018. Uh, new director, Michael Mason, and it also had a budget of $5 million, a net income of only $5.1 million. So the best movie was the least profitable? No, the fourth one is actually the least profitable. Each movie made less money than the movie before it. I guess everyone had been convinced that God's alive at that point. I don't know. Of course, David A.R. White returns as Reverend Dave, John Corbett, who you might know from My Big Fat Greek Wedding and Northern Exposure, plays Reverend Dave's atheist lawyer brother. I knew him from Northern Exposure, not My Big Fat Greek Wedding, but I was like, oh my god, this guy was the radio DJ that got all the girls. Northern Exposure was my childhood show. My dad had every season on DVD, and it is not on any streaming because of music rights. It's a great show. It sort of holds the test of time. So in this movie, 
we face new legal challenges to the church. After Reverend Dave Hill is released from prison for refusing to hand over his sermons to the state, controversy is sparked against St. James Church, which is on college campus grounds. This causes the college to start the process of shutting down the church, much to the dismay of Dave and his co-pastor Jude. When informed of the decision to shut down the church and replace it with a building to expand the school, Dave and Jude begin the process of suing the college to save St. James. Things get worse when college student Adam Richardson tosses a brick into the church, igniting a fire that kills Jude and nearly destroys the building. Dave is forced to come to grips with the loss of his dear friend. Adam is horrified by his actions and contemplates whether to confess his crime. And Reverend Dave soon seeks help from his estranged brother, a big city lawyer and atheist, in a fight to help rebuild the church. I thought it was really interesting that they were just like, oh, let's blow up the only black guy in the series and replace him with another black guy. It was a bummer, too, because that guy was one of the most likable characters in the entire series by far. Absolutely. All he wanted to do was go to Disney and take some pictures and tell you that God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. I would be happy if I never heard that again, though. My God, they said it a hundred fucking times. I feel like that's what a youth pastor says after sex. Maybe that'll be my next bit. (laughs) Part of your type five. All the time, Clint is good. I definitely know a few people who would understand the reference. Oh, God. So right off the bat, everyone in the movie immediately categorizes the burning of the church as a hate crime. We find out later it wasn't, but that's irrelevant. In the world of God's Not Dead, that is everyone's first thought, as if it is a feasible explanation for what happened. But it's worth noting that in the history of the United States, there is no record of any white church being burned as the result of a hate crime. By contrast, in the last 10 years, nine black churches have been terrorized or burned. Only one time... Has an American on U.S. soil been killed for claiming Christianity? And that person is Cassie Bernal at Columbine High School, who may or may not have even said any of that stuff. Yeah, that was disproven. (laughs) For this movie to cast the destruction of a white evangelical church adjacent to a college campus in a small southern town as a potential hate crime is just so fucking offensive and ridiculous. Because even though it turns out it wasn't a hate crime... The movie still carries the implication that it could have been a hate crime, and that has just literally never happened. And it's like this guy just threw a brick because he was mad at God, and the brick broke through the church, turned on the gas pipe. When this guy goes into the church, it all blows up and he dies. Despite all this, this is the best movie for sure. Like, they do come close to having a semblance of self-awareness and self-criticism. They acknowledge some of evangelicalism's failures. But yeah, they do it through the personification of the lawyer. The atheist lawyer. Yeah. And he basically is just like, you guys rejected me when I started asking questions, which is true. He starts asking questions and they leave him. What he says is very valid and even powerful at times. But the problem is that by this point, the series has undermined 
anything that character has to say. They've spent two whole movies turning atheists into diabolical cartoon villains. You can't turn around and have those same characters deliver the only self-aware lines of the entire series and have it mean something. It was just, it was really disheartening because it's like, guys, come on. You, you were so close. This one could have been something worthwhile. If they just explored it a little bit more. Because that's the thing. People who used to be Christian and then aren't Christian anymore aren't mad at God. They don't believe in God. They're mad at the church for doing all this bullshit. They're mad at the people who are acting in bad faith with very valid reasoning. They're not against your God. They cannot wrap their heads around it. I'm not mad at God. I'm mad at you. Yes. Yes. Like, I'm not pissed at God. I'm pissed at the church for allowing all the shit that happened to me to happen. What I kept thinking through all of these movies is that no one involved with these productions has ever heard of the paradox of tolerance. Are you familiar with this concept? No. The idea is that to have a tolerant society, you have to be intolerant of intolerance. So you can never have a fully tolerant society because if you tolerate everything, then the intolerance you tolerate will eventually undermine the tolerant society. Ah, yeah. And all through these movies, they go on and on about the quote-unquote so-called tolerant left. They act like liberals will tolerate anything except Jesus. And it's like, no, no one has a problem with Jesus. The problem is that you guys want to use Jesus as a weapon to discriminate against people and harm people. That's what we're intolerant of. We're not intolerant of Christianity. Their idea of persecution is not being able to be openly shitty to everyone all the time. Let's move on to God's Not Dead 4 birth control ads for second graders. Oh, um, God. This is the most problematic one of all. This one's terrible. And of course, I have a vested interest in it because this time... We're tackling homeschooling. Yes, go listen to our episode on a Becca and watch God's Not Dead 4 back to back. Then you will understand exactly why this movie is such bullshit. <laughs> this one was released in 2021, directed by Vance Null, made with a budget of $2 million, but it only turned a net profit of $189,000, so... Barely breaking even on this one. It's because only homeschoolers went. It has a 0% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, but a 100% audience score. They even include that in the Pure Flix title card. 100% certified fresh, according to the people who already believe this shit. Not the critics, the audience. Which is fine. Like, critics don't usually like things. Yeah, but there's usually at least a couple critics who find some redeemable value. I mean, I feel like Adam Sandler movies usually get a good four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So God's Not Dead 4 is sliding in directly underneath every Adam Sandler movie. Yeah, I wonder how it feels to have worse reviews than I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Now, as the name implies, we're getting real American with this one. Christianity definitely takes a backseat to conservative American politics. Yeah, Christianity, barely anything to do with this. The premise is so dumb. Reverend Dave is called to defend a group of Christian homeschooling families after a local judge orders them to conform their homeschool curriculum to state standards or send their kids to public school. He finds himself taken aback by the interference of the government and believing that their right to educate their own children is a freedom worth fighting for, Reverend Dave is called to Washington, D.C. to testify in a landmark congressional hearing that will determine the future of religious freedom in our country for years to come. 
God. Okay, so what actually happens is Reverend Dave goes to some homeschooler's house because he's helping sit in for their theology class. And at the exact same time that they're learning the theology of the story of Noah, a CPS worker shows up and then just starts questioning them on, oh, so you're saying that Noah was the only good person, but why did all the animals deserve to die? Like, she's just basically, like, arguing with her, like, from a theological standpoint and not really reviewing the lessons. It's like, did they only have one lesson that day? Did she only sit in for, like, 20 minutes and then leave? You're allowed to, like, have a Bible class. You're allowed to have whatever classes you want as long as you also have math science reading and this movie was literally the personification of everything the homeschool families i knew growing up feared it's just this paranoid persecution complex believing that the government is going to shut down homeschooling that any day now they're going to come knocking on the door and force your kids into public school Ooh. it was a homeschool co-op yeah, it's a co-op that Reverend Dave helped start through the church. That's what it was. I was like, how the f- why is he going to testify? He didn't even have kids. Like, none of it made sense to me. Reverend Dave goes to Washington. My favorite part was when one of the moms asks the CPS worker how the kid should address her, miss or missus, and the woman says, I identify as self-partnered. Are, like evangelicals afraid of people like me that just don't want to be in a relationship? I mean, yes, but this was clearly an attempt to make the CPS worker look like some sort of crazy progressive or something. Long story short, she does not approve of what's happening at the homeschool co-op, no surprise, so she escalates the problem, the families have to go to court, and you'll never guess who the judge was, none other than Judge Janine Pirro from Fox News, who confusingly did a cameo playing herself in God's Not Dead 3, but then reappears in God's Not Dead 4 playing a different character. God's not dead. He works miracles. He miraculously made her a completely different person. If God can work miracles and make the Fox News lady a completely different person in a God's Not Dead movie, then I can be non-binary. You would think so. The judge tells the parents that they've got 10 days to either conform to the educational guidelines or send their kids to public school. They can't settle for this, so all the homeschool parents, Reverend Dave and Martin, the Chinese exchange student from the first movie, fly to Washington, D.C. to speak at a Senate subcommittee meeting in opposition to a new educational standardization law that would make homeschooling practically illegal in America. And you alluded to this a minute ago, but at one point the homeschool parents are talking to each other and one of them is like, I was talking to my friend who started sending her kid to public school and they were handing this out. And she pulls out a paper and passes it around and says, it's an advertisement for condoms. They're in the second grade. Like, they're just coming up with things that don't really happen. When I went to public school, the one of the few years that I did, in fifth grade, after our D.A.R.E. program, they handed everyone a bag of de- that had deodorant and a panty liner and said, your body is changing soon. And I had no idea. There was no further context. That was all we got. No, no idea about what to do with the pad. Like, oh, you mean they weren't teaching you how to use condoms when you were seven? Uh, 
Uh, absolutely not. Yo, unrelated. Can I tell the story of when I had the my first tampon? So out in Glen Rose, Texas, there are few things. One of them is uh, a creation museum. The other thing it has is dinosaur footprints. And these dinosaur footprints are uh, in the water and you can go swimming in them. And I wanted to go swimming, but I had my period. And so I go in this bathroom and my sister comes out with these cardboard tampons and she's like you just stick it up there and so I did and she never told me to take the applicator out though so I'm like walking around all bow-legged and uh uh anyway so that hurt for like a while and then I finally told her what was up and she's like you're supposed to take the cardboard out and uh that was how I used my first tampon anyway they should really give kids sex ed but they're definitely not doing the condom thing yeah but the problem is that the people who were watching this shit believe it's real yeah but the people that watch this shit never went to public school in the first place and they certainly don't send their kids but that's what I'm saying that's what's so dangerous they portray these ridiculous over-the-top extreme scenarios and it reinforces the beliefs already held by conservative evangelicals about these institutions even though those beliefs are completely unfounded. And then there was this whole subplot. The exchange student from the first movie is really, really excited to go and tour all the museums in Washington, D.C. And it's just a really, like, America-centric thing. Oh, yeah. It was a fucking America commercial. What's funny, though, is that the Chinese exchange student, Martin is portrayed as the smartest person in the movie, right? He's like kind of a genius, but he was educated by the Chinese state. So I don't know what these parents are so worried about. Yeah, and he's there and he's like, oh, I just started learning American history in my pastime. It became a hobby after I had to study for my citizenship test. And so he's just there to give the exposition to say like the first words of the constitution and all this stuff. And wasn't there a thing about like, the founding fathers were slave owners and then they were like, well, yes, but they were also Christians and they were young kids. Kids make mistakes. And why does that matter? And it's like, they literally saw people as less than human and we are venerating them. Uh, the revisionist history was unbelievable. Totally downplayed any wrongdoing on the part of the founding fathers. They taught more about the founding fathers' teachings than they ever did Christianity's teachings throughout the whole thing, too. And gone is the humanized, interesting-ish character that John Corbett played in the third movie. In this fourth one, we're back to the over-the-top atheist senator villain who got elected on an anti-Christian platform and has an 82% approval rating somehow. And it's so irritating because they could have written a believable villain. It could have been someone who was misguided but thought they were doing what was best for the students. But instead, they go with a cartoon character who wants to destroy Christianity no matter the cost. It's just bad writing. And like you said, these cases, they all ruled in favor of homeschoolers. And some of them weren't even in the U.S. Some of them are in Canada. This movie's called We the People. And that's what irks me the most. They use this quote-unquote based on real cases thing to market the movies, but what's presented in the movies is not reflective of reality on any level. And I'm not against homeschool. I want to be clear. Like, I work from home now, so obviously, like, you can do things at home. We do need to have standards, though. Yeah, and a Becca is not... This movie was arguing that there should not be any standards for education. Yeah. When they go to the initial court trial with Judge Jeanine Pirro, she says the only sensible thing that's said in the entire fucking movie. She's like, and I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but... 
your rights as parents do not supersede your child's right to an education. But she's being cast as a villain in that moment. And I mean, th- that was my number one point on the Abeka episode. Kids have a right to an education, to real information. And homeschooling does not always provide that. Nobody is checking up on these kids. I mean, never once did anyone ever check up on me growing up. I don't think we had anyone from the city. We might have had an accreditation person, but our school was only certified by the National Association of Private and Parochial, whatever. Yeah, the uh, National Association of Christian Schools. I found an interview with David A.R. White, who plays Reverend Dave. He's also a producer on the movies. He was being interviewed about this one, the fourth film. And he said, if you look at when God's Not Dead 3 came out, it came out during the Trump era. It came out when we really didn't have the problem necessarily of all this government trying to take liberty and freedoms from Christians. It was a time of, hey, everybody's yelling at each other, but nobody's listening. And here we are. We're in a different administration, and it's a different time. And what we're finding is all of these laws being passed that are, I think— threatening our freedoms and our liberties. So what I'm taking away from this is that when evangelicals are in control, everybody should stop yelling at each other. But when they're not in control, it's an active threat against them. It's a fight for your life. But when evangelicals are in control, they're taking away Roe versus Wade. Like, I... And he says that laws are being passed that threaten his freedoms and liberties. What fucking laws? What laws, Dave? My God, half the states in America are actively legislating against trans people. Which states are doing that to Christians? Where is that happening? It's not. Name a single law passed during the Biden administration that is discriminatory against Christians. It's fucking ridiculous. Biden is a Christian, for God's sake. It's annoying and frustrating, and I wish that uh, these movies weren't made, but they are, and so we're talking about them, hey. Obviously, we have not seen this one yet, but God's Not Dead 5, Rise Up, is coming out later this year. And Jay, if you had to guess what the plot of this one's going to be, what would you say? Probably something about trans people or gay people because they're really trying to like fuck with us right now. That's a little too controversial, but you're in the right ballpark. Would it be maybe about like an abortion? Like I'm just thinking like Hell House scenes. <laughs> you're, you're close. You're dancing around it. The new film will follow Reverend Dave Hill once again as he runs for office in a campaign against an opponent who seeks to remove religion from public public policy and the reverend begins to question is god dead in american politics let me answer that one for you reverend god's not dead in american politics but he definitely should be it's supposed to be separation of church and state i mean at this point god's not dead is just straight up christian nationalist propaganda and it always has been to a certain extent but they are not even remotely trying to disguise it anymore. They've abandoned any facade of caring about Christ or the Bible. It is just about Christian nationalism. Because remember, church and state means that that they can control the government, but the government can't control the church. Oh, and in addition to Reverend Dave, Dean Cain and Ray Wise are both coming back for this one. So that's good. Love me some big lot Superman. Speaking of gay hymns, when I went to the Metropolitan Community Church, I noticed that all of their hymns had a gender neutral version of referring to God. And I always thought that was really cool. Oh, so they weren't hymns. They were thems. (laughs) My bad. My bad, bro. You're right. (laughs) 
T-H-Y-M-N-S, thems. That's my new pronouns. Okay, final thoughts on God's Not Dead. There's something going on with the cameos in these movies. There are a lot of them. Mike Huckabee, Judge Jeanine Pirro, the Robertsons. But something less apparent to an outsider is that the quote-unquote expert witnesses in the court trials were also real people. Those were cameos. They are not actors. They were all evangelicals who've written apologetic texts and stuff like they they're all playing themselves as well oh interesting was tim lahay in it unfortunately no but there's still time maybe he'll make it into god's not dead five rise up i i think they're using these cameos for a reason beyond just evangelical celebrity clout i think they use it to further the illusion that these movies are taking place in reality it grounds the story in the real world when they include real evangelical celebrities playing themselves. It gives it an air of legitimacy that it definitely should not have. Also from that interview with Reverend Dave, he said, The whole point of these films is to really open up conversations about God. It started out on the college campus and it moved into the high schools and into the community. And it always seemed like for such a time as this, life imitates art. And here we are making God's Not Dead for We the People. And it's just meant to, I think, take conversations to Washington about our freedoms and our liberties. And so this franchise was built to do that. And there's no better time to do that than right now. That is just such bullshit. I I do not understand how they expect to open up conversations about God with the very people that they negatively stereotype and misrepresent in their movies. Yeah, that wasn't what it was about. This was a movie for evangelicals by evangelicals. They weren't using this as a conversion movie. Absolutely no meaningful conversations were started here, despite the fact that we've been discussing this movie for hours now. It was very much negatively stereotyping anyone that doesn't believe in God as a terrible person who doesn't grieve when people die, doesn't feel the same way, doesn't care. It's just kind of gross and infuriating. It's hard for me to comprehend how absurd and confusing this movie would be to someone who had no exposure to evangelical Christianity. It wouldn't make any fucking sense. The farther we get down this rabbit hole, the more I am realizing everyone knows about Christianity. No one has no exposure and whatever. Well, I guess my friend did at the beginning. And you just had to ruin that for them, didn't you? Let's wrap things up. I really thought this was going to be one of our shorter episodes because there wasn't a lot of research. It was just movie watching, but we had opinions. Uh, I do want to leave you with one final quote from David A.R. White. Who's David A.R. White? He's a producer and he plays Reverend Dave. Oh, David plays Dave? Yeah, so that's also kind of a cameo. He's really just saying what we've been saying here in this quote. The God's Not Dead movies have been based on different court cases over the years in different ways, so there's no doubt about it. These things have actually happened in different communities in different ways. Now, it's not national yet that it's happening, but our goal with the God's Not Dead movies is to alert people to the things that are happening under the surface, so to speak, and to bring out the conversations. So what he wants to do with these movies is just pre-alert America's most privileged group to a problem that doesn't yet exist. That makes sense. Yeah, then these court cases that happened in different communities in different ways, every one of them favored Christianity. Like, get the fuck out of here. And the ways that the court cases differed from the movies are significant. Yeah, the ways they differed is that uh, they aren't actually under attack at all. 
Um, yeah, okay. That's that's the last thought I have on these Christians. They do not deserve any more of my time. All right, y'all. So as always, thank you so much for listening to our rant on all four God's Not Dead movies. Um, this is the end of season two. Yep, gonna take a brief break. Yeah, this is the end of season two. We'll release mini-sodes during the break, and we'll be back soon. So um, if you want to be on a mini-sode, send us your story. Send us your voice submissions. I also want to do an episode where we go through all of them, and we can commiserate our stories together. Um, also, we have merch. Go buy a hoodie, a beanie, or a sticker. We got a new order today, actually. Really? Yes, somebody ordered a daddy hat today, and last week we sold a mug. I love that. That's so exciting. We're on social media, of course, at howgaythouart, howgaythouart.com. We have a Patreon. Yeah, support our Patreon. Um both the merch and the Patreon just go to the costs of making the podcast and doing all this research because obviously, at least at the moment, we don't run ads. So yeah, help support it if you want. You don't have to, but we would love money. Money's great. Also, uh, if you're in our Patreon and had trouble signing up for the Discord, just hit us up for a link. And look, I know that Jay discouraged people from viewing the God's Not Dead movies, but I'm here to say that I endorse watching these films. I had an excellent time. I was very engaged. I was yelling at the TV the whole time. And the first one's on Amazon Prime. So you can start there. And if you want to continue, you'll have to get a, a pure flicks trial. Yeah, sure. We also post our transcripts online. Sometimes I post pics related to the episode or like during the Christian music one, I post all the links to all the songs as well as a playlist of Christian music that I like as well as, um, you know, some fun songs. Dude, this playlist you made has completely fucked my Spotify algorithm. It's, I yeah. I was at the gym the other day getting some reps in. And what do I hear but fucking coming in hot like a fajita? You texted me that and you were listening to it one day. And I was just like, what? Honestly, that one is growing on me in a completely unironic way. I should add to this playlist. I never added any apologetic stuff. And I think I should add Bone Digger. You know, a couple of years ago, we had a friend's Christmas back when I was living in Oakland. And one of my friends who grew up Mormon started a joint Christmas playlist for all of us. And most of us added you know, pop Christmas covers and Trans-Siberian Orchestra and stuff like that. Normal people Christmas music. But Kofi, my ex-Mormon friend, added like 50 apologetic songs. That was his only contribution and people were not into it at all. In the end, the group overrided him and removed them all from the playlist. Yeah, as you should. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, everyone. I'm Jay Austin. They them but like them with the hymns honestly that's like something that they would put in a god's not dead movie to be like look at this look what the crazy atheists are doing now they're changing hymns to thems t-h-y-m-n-s i identify as self-partnered <laughs> that's a, that's the nicest way of saying i'm single and not ready to mingle uh you are i'm clint keller he him this has been how gay thou art and we'll be back in a few weeks. Yeah. Bye, everyone. XOXO. God's Not Dead. What rating do you think that it has on uh, on Pure Flix? You would think, right? No. Three out of four stars. 
they're going with a fourth star system. <laughs>